Hello, and welcome to this special conversation as part of the Writing Life podcast. I'm Peggy Hughes. At the start of 2021, I invited three writers to write a piece on the theme Weather With You. I offered them a very broad brief, inspired by an article last February by Jenny Ofo for the National Centre for Writing, in which she explored the circumstances around writing her brilliant novel, Weather. What atmospheric pressures go into the work? What impact does a year like the one we've just had have on what and how one is able to write? The three invited writers are Kerni Dokhti, Abir Mukherjee and Derek Awusu and they've delivered three terrific and very different responses on their weather and the views from where they are writing from. Nonetheless, as Heather Parry writes in her introduction to the series, taken together, they remind us that, as with other forces of nature, there is no destination for creative work. The role of the artist and the process of writing, of being a writer, is, like the weather, ever-changing, ever-shifting, ever-renewing, and always, of course, a surprise. These pieces are part of our Arts Council England Ambition for Excellence funded programme, Open Doors, and we're very grateful for their support in making this possible. In this episode, Kerini Doherty discusses her piece, Ogotanesh and Amateur, and Now the Weather, with writer Amy Littrott. Kerry was born in 1983 in Derry at the border between the north and south of Ireland. Her work has appeared in the Irish Times, Winter Papers, Caught by the River and many others. She lives in an old railway cottage in the very heart of Ireland with her partner and dog and baby. Thin Places is her first book. Amy Littrott is the author of the best-selling book, The Outrun. The Outrun was awarded the 2016 Wainwright Prize and was shortlisted for the 2016 Welcome Prize. Canongate Books will publish her second book, The Instant, in January 2022. A memoir blended with nature writing, The Instant explores the ecology of love and picks up at the point her debut, The Outrun, concludes, leaving island life on Orkney behind with a one-way flight to Berlin. Hello, Kerry. Hi, Amy. I wonder if we, we could just start by answering where, where are you? Maybe you could describe where you are and, and what the day is like with you. So I am sitting in a lovely position because right behind my head, I've got this gorgeous picture. It's a chalk picture by Joe Sweeting, the stone carver. It's two heads. They're called orrery shul heads and they've got little constellations all over them. So I'm literally underneath these starry heads and then I'm looking out at some trees that are going. We've got very blustery full moon winds today and the sky has only just gone a little dash of blue. It had been very stormy all day but now as the day is ending it's... um. It's really beautiful. Sounds like a nice place to sleep and just get an idea of where you are, which is it's a bit different than the place that you are when you're at the end of thin places. You're sort of making that move, aren't you? Yeah, totally. So that's where I am just now. I've had the pleasure of reading the new piece of writing and you, you've given it the title. I, I won't attempt the Irish, but it's And, and Now the Weather. August Anish and Amsher. Yeah, so I didn't grow up speaking any Irish and I've only come to the Irish language in my 30s and it's quite an important thing for me. But when we would have occasionally been over the border, if you had the radio on, you would have heard this phrase because it's still used on the Irish speaking radio channels when the weather forecast is about to come on. So during the lockdown, we've been listening to um, RTE quite a lot and actually the radio um, for lots of people has been a really important thing during the pandemic I think but I've I've heard this again and again and again and then there's a really beautiful album 
which I've kind of referenced in the piece as well, came out before the lockdown. And it's called The Same Thing and Now the Weather. So where I come from, weather is a very important thing. And it's a very, I think it's not just a British thing, it's an Irish thing where people will consistently ask each other, you know, what the weather is like. So because today in Dublin, it's really sunny. And I know that because on Instagram, there have been loads of pictures of blue skies and it's been grey here all day. It can affect us in this really funny way. So at the beginning of the pandemic, like when we were stuck here all the time and when the weather was really good, it just changed my whole mood completely. You know, it just it felt like it didn't matter what was happening in the outside world. Whereas now, suddenly, because it's so grey and it's been so wet and so stormy, I just want to run away to the sea. I just want to go and find somewhere that's really blue skies. So I don't know, it's interesting how weather can affect us. And now the weather is about your last year, taking in uh, Virginia Woolf, a lot about the nature of time, dreams and, and some other things which which will come on to but maybe if you could just explain to me how you decided to approach this commission as soon as I finished writing thin places I went through this really funny time period where everything I wrote after it just felt really odd like it just felt thin places had been a you know the probably the biggest thing I'd ever written and I guess it changed me a bit writing it any commission that came in after it I always when I would email the person back I'd always say I'm really sorry if this is too odd or if it's too weird for what you're looking for somehow I find it difficult to come out of having written a book into writing shorter pieces again and I felt a bit all over the place with this commission as well because I'm in a funny situation as well with being in one place in five kilometres. It almost feels like I could have become very, like I might not have been able to get my way through the forest, like it might have been too meandering a piece. But with the weather, because the weather here is so changeable, it almost made sense for it to be quite a meandering, wandering piece. So I guess I just eventually tried to keep it very structured and I tried to keep it very on track, but it's quite a disjointed piece. And I think it kind of works because of the way that the weather is here in the middle of Ireland. Yeah, even in trying to talk about it, it is very meandering. Fog is the particular type of weather that you've chosen to, to characterise the last year. Why is that? Well, I think it has felt very foggy to me for a number of reasons. The pandemic itself has followed quite a different course in Ireland than what it has in quite a few other places. Um, and maybe also it's to do with where I live because we are so isolated. But for a very long time, we've either been in a two kilometre or five kilometre lockdown. And basically when we were in a two kilometre lockdown, there were two fields that we could go through. And then when we were in a five kilometre lockdown, it sort of extended to the top of the lane a little bit, but not much further. And so I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you're in a rhythm or when you're doing things very rhythmically every single day, which I felt I needed to do to try and keep myself not sane, but just on some form of track, that can almost be a bit disorienting as well. You know, the same fields every single day or the same walk up the laneway past the same things is very calming and soothing. But sometimes it can make you feel a little bit, not crazy, but like time has lost a lot of meaning, almost like being in a constant fog. And I suppose, especially then, because we had this in the summer last year, our first pandemic summer, it was very, very sunny. But I, the whole way through that summer, I dreamed of fog, which I talk about a bit 
in the piece as well but I had also um just fallen pregnant and I suppose as well for me the analogy of fog um, and that sort of uncertainty that the pandemic had brought in to place in Ireland but also this real uncertainty in my own body they seemed to kind of come at the same time and I suppose they just danced together a bit and they sort of enveloped each other in their own fog. And that, and that seems to be related to the way that you've experienced time as well. Yeah. An oddly boned creature, which I love that phrase. So I've spoken with a lot of my friends who live in different kinds of places, who've been living in different types of places through the pandemic. And, you know, for some people, they've obviously, everyone has been touched by it and changed by it in one or other way. But for us, myself and my partner and Doug, who live here together, we had never really had it where it was really literally just the three of us all the time until the pandemic kind of came. So when you lose all contact with everybody else, you don't see anybody that you know, except for the people that you live with, the person you live with and the dog. It can make things feel as if nothing has changed at all, but everything has also changed in the day-to-day realm of time. So, for example, when I think to last August, it feels like that was no time ago at all. But when I think about New Year's Day, which was really sunny here, it was really blue sky on New Year's Day, that feels like it could be 10 years ago. So I suppose it's not just the experience of living through a, a pandemic, but it's also the fact that every single day I get up and I have more or less the same breakfast. I do the same walk with the same person and the same dog through the same fields. And that's been really good for me to have that rhythm. But I guess I hadn't realised that time, it's more fluid than what we'd ever really thought, than what I'd ever really thought anyway. And I guess as well, we're all seeing all of these kind of anniversaries of the pandemic now. So for example, I heard my first chiff chaff today. I suddenly, I'm remembering back to the first chiff chaff I heard last spring, which feels like it was yesterday. I can't believe that I've been in this laneway with only a few little times we've been allowed to leave the county but predominantly in this one same small house for a year <laughs> but it doesn't feel like a year I think your situation's is more intense than mine because I'm, li- I'm living on a street where there's you're seeing people coming and going but if you're living more rurally or remotely you're really quite isolated yeah the things did change and they changed very swiftly we straight away got into a very definite routine because I knew I needed that otherwise maybe could be quite difficult to keep some kind of a routine but the routine with time can either be really good and it can make time feel really ordered and orderly or it can feel the total opposite like timeless that things are carrying on but they're also not carrying on but yeah I don't know just my experience of time this year has really definitely changed but I think for the better and that it doesn't last forever that particular time periods of course they don't last forever and maybe even because they feel like they will they definitely won't I remember being a teenager and reading, I can't remember which Margaret Atwood book it was, it might have been Cat's Eye. I could be totally misremembering this, but this is what I remember of what I read, where 
time was talked about and it was like a straw in a glass of water or something. And I think this straw was like a spirally straw, you know, one of those twisty straws. So that the way that you could experience it could be, it was to do with being in the liquid and in that greater sort of surrounding, but it also depended where you were on the straw. Now that could be complete rubbish. If she didn't write that, I like that idea. And I don't know where I got that from. So a way of marking time passing is can we talk about uh diary writing I've always kept a diary and um how that diary has looked how I've interacted with it changed quite a lot in the period of time of writing my first book and after I'd written it and I suppose I wasn't really expecting that to happen because it had always been a very ordered thing so I wrote I did that the daily pages idea so I did three pages of free flow writing every single day I would wait maybe over a year until I would read back over it didn't used to use it as something that I would ever take like ideas from or anything I just did it because I felt it on blocked me in some way that had kind of changed a bit where I sort of had a bit of a mental block over it somehow and I didn't really know where it came from in on piecing it a bit I think that maybe because writing thin places was I had to kind of go back over so many really big things that I'd experienced in the past in my life as soon as I'd finished it I found it really hard to carve in the space for that time I used to do it in the morning and then I sort of somehow didn't do it in the morning anymore um, and I would keep a little bit of a diary but I've always kept what the weather is on the day and what nature stuff I've seen but that was more bullet points so it had changed it, it had gone from being very free flow and it had been that way for you know quite a long time and you know I'd sort of stopped thinking about it I suppose but um during the pandemic I taught a few creative writing courses and I got a bit annoyed with myself because in the sort of intro I would always advise people not advise them but I would say like this is what I do and this is what I find really helps me um if I've got any writer's block and it wasn't even true I realized that it did still matter to me that it I did still want to do it and I suppose then I somehow found my way back into it but it really affected me when I began doing it again because I think somehow it was linked with self-worth I suppose carving like that time for something that is just about you I didn't know how to approach getting back into it it had been so important for so long and then I just stopped and getting back into it really affected me and I, I realised that really matters to me that I give myself the space to write something that doesn't have to be published and that actually I might never read again. So I had started writing the journal again and that was grand and I discovered that I was pregnant which was something that has been a really big beautiful kind of life-altering thing and I was really very very grateful that the journaling had come just before this kind of cusp moment. You were feeling better about yourself then if you were, you were journaling. and Yeah, I think you do, don't you? Interesting point, I think, about self-worth, because you have to believe that you have something to say, but that's a, a daily sort of a, a hurdle to overcome, and it, is, and it is a good warm-up to other writing. Or un, unlike you, I absolutely use my diaries. I, I go back and cannibalise them the whole time. Exactly. I think I have, well, I know I have started to use them now, but I think because they're very different now, so I am much more engaged with what I place on the page. 
Diary writing, it is incredible. You, you quote from a mention in this piece that uh, you've recently connected with a, one of the greatest diarists, uh, Virginia Woolf, and in particular her diaries. It started, it was a love affair that began on Instagram, as many love affairs do. I, had, I started to follow um, this Instagram account that did a story every day of quotes from that day in Virginia Woolf's diary. I don't know, it kind of blew my mind. It felt like it could just so, lots of it felt like it could just so easily have been written like today by any really good female writer. And the fact that like most of them were 100 years before, that also made me think about time and about writing the self and about how we interact in a private space of writing when we also have this role in the public sphere. I felt really, really drawn. I'd never had this funny relationship with Virginia Woolf where I st- like we studied her when I was doing my degree but I'd never really gone back to her since and all of a sudden so I'd spent a little bit of time in Cornwall and in a few other places and I'd experienced her so I'd met a lot of people just before the pandemic who were obsessed with Virginia Woolf so I kind of thought well I'll give it a little bit of a read and then I just became completely obsessed. I have felt very drawn in the last year to people who write journals, diaries, Catherine Mansfield and even maybe less journalistic but also like list writers and things like that. You know the way that Emily Dickinson wrote lots of her poems on the back of envelopes and they almost look like lists. I don't know I just have been much more drawn to kind of pithy, quick like bullet pointed things almost I don't know if it's an attention span thing or if it's the fact that I think lots of us are trying to find not meaning in this but we've been a bit all over the place in the last year haven't we and I suppose lots of the great journals that came out tried to look at that head on didn't they because they documented what was happening in the world around them but also you know their love affairs and what they ate that night and like life kept going on and I like that yeah, that's a great thing about reading diaries from the past because it's people that are living through historical events of the time. But then that's not the only thing in their life, not even the biggest thing in their life. It, you know, No, their illnesses and things like that. So yeah, just felt really drawn to that kind of exploration of existence. Potentially there has been a real change in how I read anyway in the last year. Um, And I don't know if that would have happened anyway after having written a book like Thin Places, but I finished editing Thin Places just less than a month into the pandemic. So it's all been very mixed up together for me. What do you you find the change in your reading to be? Weirdly, I'm reading a lot more than I ever did before. I think that my reading has become much more varied. So I think I would have predominantly been drawn to very specific types of kind of like nature books or very specific types of poetry but I've been reading about everything like stuff that I never really realized that I was drawn to before like how sound works because I'm not I've I have a very difficult relationship with science and I would have normally been I don't know quite wary of trying to understand things that I find quite difficult but yeah I've just become more I don't know I don't know what has changed it's just maybe I'm older or something And as well as talking about in this piece of writing about diary writing, in a really beautiful section, you describe how not only have you been keeping a journal again during your pregnancy, but you've started dreaming again, which is is wonderful. Yeah, so I had always been a really very big dreamer, you know, like very lucky with having really beautiful dreams. Like I always had nightmares as well, but they were very vivid 
and you know almost filmic like so one of my best dreams was I had a dream where I was on the Isle of Mull and there was a a hummingbird that was flying backwards and there was I was in this little glade yeah I was in this little glade and I was on my own bird watching on my own and this man was there that I hadn't realized was there I didn't know who he was in the dream he was older but I didn't feel unsafe or anything but he approached me and I he said okay you have to choose now you discovered this hummingbird so you can either stay with it and you can experience it and see it a bit more or you can go and record it you can go away and write it down and then everyone will know that you've discovered it and then I woke up I think it was the year I moved to Scotland that I dreamed it actually but that's an example of that would have been a quite a standard enough dream that I would have had I dreamed a lot about the there was a whale that came up the river in the city where I'm from Derry when I found out about that I began dreaming about it and I would dream about it at least every few months You know, I would dream about the river being frozen and just really vivid dreams. But they stopped. They didn't really peter out or anything. Just I began, people would say maybe I was still dreaming, but I couldn't remember them anymore. Or some people say your dreams can stop. But they did. They just, they stopped. I actually did like a little bit of reading around it to see, was it like, did I need to, like I tried relaxation stuff before going to bed. I tried having a bath tried like a really crazy thing where you wrote down the thing that you wanted to dream (laughs) before you went to bed but like none of it worked and it was a period of time of so I'm so I started dreaming again at 36 um, and I'd stopped in my late 20s I would have a very occasional dream but they would never be they would be about something that had happened I would dream about something real and nothing is how they'd been before and I did. It was really weird. I find it really hard to talk about. Like I um, I remember when I first met my partner, I think um, I asked him one morning, did you have any dreams or something? And he said, oh, no, I don't really remember my dreams. And I said, well, has, has this always been the way for you? And he said, yeah, it's always just been the way. I just never really dreamed. And I told him, I think I think he's one of the first people that I told that it had really affected me. It's hard to talk about your dreams, but only is it very personal. Like, they're kind of illogical and intangible, so you can't really describe it. Yeah, I know. When I did my Steiner teacher training course, we actually did a lot of work on diary keeping. So for a while, we kept a weather diary for one of the first semesters. Um, and then another time, we kept a dream diary. And that was just before this change, before they really stopped. And I remember someone on the course saying, they were in their 40s, I remember someone on the course saying that they'd experienced it, that their dreams had really changed. They then became quite boring. And they'd thought that maybe it was because their life had changed. They'd settled down, they'd had children and things like that. But yeah, so in the summer, my dreams kind of started again. I love the way that you described that you, you left your dreams in Scotland, but then something had uh, somehow against all odds carried my dreams back to me I mean I feel like because they only started when I fell pregnant and I know that I've done a bit of reading around it and uh, and your dreams can change a lot in pregnancy in particular with your first child so I'm (laughs) really I'm really hopeful that it doesn't stop when the baby comes out I have a baby and I'm being woken up regularly through the night and I think that helps me remember my dreams and I think it's because I'm being interrupted in the middle of them yeah that's so good 
interestingly, that might make because I'm up a lot during the night as well with pregnancy. Maybe that makes sense. But that's been one of the really beautiful gifts because in the pandemic, lots of people have their dreams have changed a lot. I've heard it on the radio. I've I've read it in articles and things, and people are talking about how much their dreams have changed. I think that when something really big happens, it obviously affects the subconscious in a really deep way. And obviously the pandemic, like living through this time, is unlike what lots of people have ever experienced before. So I suppose it has the power to change our dreaming life. So it's two months since the publication of Thin Places. How was it having your first book published in the pandemic? Yeah, it was... um, Because it was my first book anyway, I have nothing to compare it to. I know that it would obviously have been very different if it had been not the pandemic. But I had a really gorgeous day on publication. I still marked it. The reason why I wrote Thin Places was because I really wanted to share this story. And I really wanted to share it with people. I wanted to talk to people about it. And I suppose that that bit has been a little bit difficult that... um, I feel like potentially by the time, you know, maybe things go not back to normal, because I think normal is a, an odd word anyway, but by the time things come around to stuff happening again, it's going to be quite some time since the book came out. So I'm not really sure how that will be. If I'll get to talk about it again, I mean, I'd love to. But I've had to find other ways. You know, I've wanted to still make it feel like a really positive thing. And it has because the amount of people who've just gone out of their way to to just do lovely things like ask me onto podcasts and just like kind of the conversations that I've had online have been really lovely so in that respect much as I would love to be in a room of people and I feel like you can talk a lot more freely when you're talking about trauma you feel a bit safer if their body's there I still feel very like incredibly grateful for the fact that it's been received so in such a lovely way and people have just been gorgeous so gratitude I just feel a depth of gratitude for everybody who all the people that made the book because it's not just my book it's all the other people as you know that do all the work the big proper work (laughs) for the book just wondering about if you've had responses from from readers yet absolutely that's been the most gorgeous part of it really Amy is just like people have reached out in such lovely ways and and so many people and that's been really really nourishing because actually I think as you will know it's a very difficult thing in some respects to write your own story and put it out in the world and then you step away from it and as you've said to me before then the book gets its own life and you just watch from somewhere else, <laughs> which is is really odd. <laughs> so like I, I received the most gorgeous handwritten letter from someone who told me that they were 75 <laughs> and that they'd read my book in one day and that it was the best book they'd ever read in their whole life and that they were very, I know, they were very grateful. And that was just really gorgeous. <laughs> but others, like lots of people have contacted me who are from the North and who've moved away and who've lived away and who've been all ages like some people who've been my age and some people who've been a lot older and who've said that they feel very very grateful that I've written the story and that it's helped them in some way and I suppose that's what it's all about I wouldn't have written the book were it not for all the people that came before me who wrote their stories down we all stand on each other's shoulders 
and in the fact that so many other people have dealt with what they've gone through and have given it to someone else you know by writing their story down um, it allowed me to write my story and if it allows one or two or even however many other people to feel like they can even just send an Instagram message to say I feel really seen by these words or you know I've had people say that they haven't been able to verbalize their grief before that they felt like they had no right to talk about something because so many other people went through so much in the north or whatever but their grief is just as valid and if it takes someone else writing a book and you reading it to feel like you can talk to you know your friends or your family about what you've gone through then that makes me feel really humbled and it's a real privilege it's an amazing thing this uh, connection with readers and it's just a gift to, to you and, and to them that connection that you've made and I'm just interested what you say about the particular type of people that have maybe are from where you're from who've moved away who have connected with it that makes sense to me because that's how I connected with you was that I so your book was very important in the writing of my book and and various other um, particularly female writers who find a way to verbalise their truth and I suppose heal although that's not really quite what I'm trying to say but and it's not moving it's not moving on either but I think people often connected particularly with the outrun maybe have come from a farm or the Scottish islands and have they've moved away or they've left it behind and have sort of closed that door a bit but reading these books kind of allows that door to be opened again yeah just enough that they can engage with whatever they need to that will help them I suppose as well with like with anything and what I explore in the in this weather with you piece is that in our lives we are continuously experiencing what we're experiencing on our own level but then there's this greater force that's happening all around us so you've got something like the weather and you've got the seasons and you've got the cyclical nature of the world around you just unfurling every single day and I suppose Sometimes particular time periods come, like the pandemic, where we find that the existence of us um, and the existence of the situation in the outside world are in this harmony that they may not have really ever been in before. And then we're also experiencing the collective experience as well. So a collective grief or a collective worry or a collective anger or sadness And I think that that really changes something in your own experience of the day to day life, but also in your own experience of, say, the seasons or the world. So last week there was a BBC4 series called Outsiders, which myself and some other writers talked about our experience of the pandemic. And there was um, a piece, I can't remember, um, Amanda Thompson's piece was called, but she wrote about, it was like a nature diary. Um, but it also talked about the pandemic in Scotland and it talked about missing her mum and all these different threads were all woven in together. It really, really touched me. Like they all touched me. They were all really, really beautiful. But something about this idea that it's almost like a tripartite. There's three levels in the last year. There's our own day-to-day experiences like People have continued falling in love, like people have found love in the pandemic. People have continued losing people or falling out with people or having babies or normal life has continued whilst the outside world has been this kind of almost chaotic, tumultuous, unknown. And the greater, bigger scheme of things like, you know, the the ice is still melting, for example, 
but also the chiff chaffs are coming back and the cuckoo will be back soon and you heard the curly last week and a bumblebee just just flew up to my window yes <laughs> I saw my first one last week and it, it was just you know the best because there's these three they're like almost these three wheels of things and somehow we're on all of them <laughs> we're we're a part of all of those wheels and it's become much more obvious in the last in the last year to me anyway um, we're not never just us on our own and we're never just what we're living through we're part of this much bigger world you bring you bring those things together really beautifully in, in this piece of writing so big year for you this year Kerry a book and a baby permanently <laughs> Are you well? I feel great, Amy. I just, I really, I do. I just, I really want to meet this little person now. I suppose show them the world, you know, isn't it? It's that thing of, um, yeah, like uh, another writer that I follow um, posted on Instagram that her, she'd seen the first, I think it was the first bluebell of the season. And then she realised that it was her daughter's first bluebell of her life. And again, when we when we unravel that a bit, when we look at this pandemic idea that, yes, lots has changed and there's been so much loss and there's been so much sorrow, so much harder for some people in some parts of the world. But in spite of all that, there is still such hope. And the natural world, I think, is one of those things that reminds us, I think, that reminds us that there is still, there's still so much left to be really grateful for. There's still so much left to be mindful of. In spite of the heaviness and the darkness, there are still ways to get through the uncertainty um, and still changes that can come into play. I hate to say we can kind of learn from this because I've been a little bit wary of some of the ideology that's come out of the pandemic. Like some people have you know, they've kind of focused on, oh, well, you know, I don't want things to go back to how they were, which is grand. Of course, we don't want the roads to be really busy again. And it's been great that there hasn't been as much air traffic and things like that. But there's been occasional little instances where I felt there's been a lack of um, sensitivity about the fact that, you know, people who are living in particular parts of the world have gone through so much worse in the pandemic and also in the climate crisis too so I'm thinking of sort of a lot of the climate um, stories that have come out recently you know like I'm not sure if you've read Rebecca Tomosh's Strangers it's really like properly deeply touched me just how she explores the fact that we the people living in the area, in particular areas that have remained much closer to the land. Obviously, during the climate crisis, they've gone through much worse. And the pandemic has obviously highlighted, you know, like black women are amongst the highest at risk. You know, all of the kind of inequalities that were already there under the surface have become much more obvious, I think, yeah. in the pandemic haven't they so it's it's hard to keep that hope we need to talk about hope but it's also hard to talk about it in very sensitive ways that don't come across as insensitive and tokenistic and that sort of ignore these really important things that we have to properly be attuned to at the moment Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us always on Twitter and Instagram at Writers' Centre. You can check out our Facebook page. And if you go to our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk, you can sign up to our weekly newsletter.
As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. Please do consider making a donation today by heading over to the National Centre for Writing website and hitting support us in the top right hand corner. If you enjoyed the episode, please do leave us a review on iTunes or in your favourite podcast app. It does help other people to find and check out the podcast. Mm-hmm.